Ladies and gentlemen, Euclids and Keters, welcome to my first-time listeners. This is Season 1, Episode 1 of the Crit Lives Within podcast, hosted by me, Many Meats. We have a pilot episode, which aired back in mid-May and was on SCP-4137, titled The Infinite Icosahedron. I guess that was just a little bit shy of 40 days prior to uh, my recording of this episode. Uh, Things went well enough with that show. Uh, It was well enough received by those who reached out to me that I felt I was in a good position to continue, and so here I am. Uh, I got hit with a big left hook from allergy season, and I was heavily medicated thanks to our good friends uh, at NyQuil and Zyrtec, and uh, wasn't in a good spot to get a lot of critical analysis done, but mostly passed me now and I'm doing better. Um, So I'm going to continue with the series. Uh, When I discussed the original piece in that pilot, I stated that it's my plan to have one episode every two weeks or so, and my planned release schedule is roughly the 15th and the 30th of each month. Uh, Well, if you know your calendars, we're way past that, um, that two-week target. But uh, we're using that schedule going forward. Just as a fast reminder, the format of this show is intended to be a deep dive on a single SCP main list article. The show as a whole is intended to be consumed in 30 minutes or so, and will be a critical examination of both the technical and narrative pieces of a single work found on the wiki. My criteria for selection is that an article must be positively rated overall, and I look for things that have a net less than plus 30 in their rating, and generally with a smaller number of comments. Obviously, I can take and control any exceptions to this that I want, such as highly controversial pieces with tons of comments uh, or things that use weird format screws, but these are the general rules that I use when picking a piece. I look uh, at things as if I were acting in my capacity as a junior staff member of the site's crit team, uh, which I am as of the time of this recording. So those are the things that I would look for to quote-unquote do my job, and I am using them to pick this podcast. To that end, I have selected for us SCP-4871 to consume tonight. This was written on June 11th by SCP author Proosec, and we're going to dive on in. So Proosec, you are on notice. Crit lives within. Okay, that was a little cheesy, but uh, I'm allowed. I'm going to budget myself one of those per episode. And we've burned up that currency. All right, so I'm taking a little bit of a risk with this SCP because of its length. It has a large number of collapsibles, but each one of these collapsibles is itself very short. At the time I'm recording this, the article is a net plus 22, uh, and it only has two comments other than my comment that I'm going to be offering a crit. There are no pictures, and this uses the standard uh, stock and barrel Sigma 9 theme, so it's just a normal reading experience for here, for us here, excuse me. Our object class is Euclid, so I'll be testing the article against that claim as we go, and you know, there's nothing here that's flag worthy, this is all as expected formatting. Moving along to our special containment procedures, we identify the Eastern Humanoid Containment Cell at Level 2 and Site 34. So this is a lot of detail for one sentence. 
Classically, people are told not to get specific unless it matters. Does it have to be the Eastern Containment Cell? Unless the answer to that question is yes, we usually discourage someone naming specifically. You'll see a lot of people do things like secure locker number 23371 and language like that. And that's something of a distraction. Um, if I had, this isn't a very good piece to get into that, but the economy of reader attention is a very important thing. And every extra detail you throw in, like getting specific details of a containment locker that don't ultimately matter to the piece, everything you spend on there um, costs you attention later. You have less attention for the rest of your piece. So we encourage people to keep that trim and lean at the start and also just, you know, as an, an author myself, that's a good practice. The other caveat for something like this that comes to mind is uh, perhaps an SCP that cannot move or cannot be moved. If this were something that is permanently stuck in this specific cell or in a specific storage locker, that would be a case to mention that. Um, but even then, just the fact that it can't move or it's stuck there is the important thing, not that it's stuck in the Eastern Containment Cell of Level 2. Anyway, um, we'll see if this article redeems that specific callout or not. I am not going to assume that it does or doesn't. We'll just go ahead. The next part is something I'm going to read verbatim, uh, and then we'll circle back to it. Quote, The bed within this cell has been modified to be better suited for sleeping on one's front and sides rather than on the back. End quote. I have to ask how, um, I mean, that goes a little bit opposite of what I just said, but explicitly calling out how that they need to have their sleep pattern adjusted or the, the way that their sleeping needs to be adjusted uh, is a bit strange, and I'm not aware of any standard modifications that a person would make to a bed that inherently adjust whether or not it's ideal to sleep one way or another. Um, I mean, like Tempur-Pedic beds and those adjustable beds and things that have reclining and recumbent settings and things like that, maybe. Um, I'm not completely sure. All we just know is that this apparently is not somebody who needs to or likes to sleep on their back. They're encouraged or they've requested to sleep on their front or sides. Moving on. We have a note that SCP-4871 is given metalworking tools uh, every day, and they're allowed four hours to play with them, um, and as well as materials and stuff. Um, doesn't really clarify what play with means. Uh, they don't say play with. That's not their word choice. That's mine. They're given metalworking metal tools and allowed to use them for crafts uh, four hours every day doesn't really say any of the stuff that they've made. This wouldn't be the place for it anyway. Um, just an interesting little tidbit. I suspect this is being done uh, to humanize the SCP because it is humanoid, apparently. If we're concerned about their bed, uh, we'll see if this pays off too. The Conprox end with a note that 4871 is allowed face-to-face -face visitations in addition to their interviews. Well, this is kind of fine um, as a humanizing element to include. I have to think that something like this for the Foundation is default, that humanoids are treated as such, that they are allowed face-to-face -face visitations or some degree of socialization. I understand it may not be very common, um, and it may certainly not be 
with other SCPs, but um, some degree of socialization is critically important to the mental well-being of humans and human-like creatures, and certainly the Foundation would know that. So the fact that we explicitly mention their allowed face-to-face -face visits uh, strikes me as odd. A place or a situation where you could get away with doing something like this would be if they have had that privilege revoked, and now we're returning them that privilege, or that privilege still exists to them, but only conditionally, such as face-to-face um, -face visitations are contingent upon SCP's cooperation, something to that effect. This article doesn't state that, but that's okay. Uh, we'll see if they go back to anything with this later on in the piece. I skimmed over a bit of content here, but we can move on to the description now. SCP-4871 is a humanoid entity that, quote, bears a strong physical resemblance to Foundation-employed general researcher Crona Medeus, end quote. Although apparently um, she has cyborg-like mechanisms and enhancements that differentiate it from our researcher. This is actually an instance where I think the classic trope of appears to be might actually be preferable to what's written here. Um, the choice of words bears a strong resemblance to, um, doesn't strike me as a good tone, um, because that's very subjective wording. Somebody would have to decide, oh, yeah, you know, that does kind of look like her. Um, whereas I think, well, especially based on the rest of the piece, we have the objective information to say the, the base template of this SCP is literally the same researcher's body. Uh, it's just not her. Um, so uh, there's something different you could do with the wording here. Uh, I don't think bears a strong resemblance to is out of place, given um, what I've read from the rest of the skip. Just uh, I don't think it's a good tonal choice. Something along the lines of mimics the physical characteristics with the exception of mechanical augments of an unknown origin, uh, something like that, just so we get resemblance out of the picture would be, I think, uh, a perfectly fine substitution for me. We then go on to an inserted document, which is described as a transcribed audio log from the researcher, this Chronomedeus, to aid in a psychological analysis of the SCP. It's not indicated clearly if this is the real researcher prior to anything to do with the SCP or not. Um, I wish there was a timeline with these entries. Um, I'll probably mention that again as we go on. The fact that these are broken up so much, um, I could really I could really do with dates and timestamps on this. Uh, I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, and we can kind of assume as we read that it's a sequence and the story is laid out sequentially well, just it would be helpful to a reader to frame that um, so you can kind of go back and reread a piece and click things together in your head. Um, I can understand that a lot of extra detail like that may break up a piece's narrative early. Um, so if you want to skip that, I can't really, I can't really blame. Um, just an observation. Um, I'm going to read this thing verbatim because it's pretty short. Quote, I'd read about it, but I never thought they'd actually bring her to me. Sorry, it. They brought the alt-universe mechanical goddess version of me right to my doorstep. I wonder whose bright idea that was. Oh, gods. I hope not. Anyway, aside from the whole existential crisis thing, 
This skips got me interested. Before British Occult Service, I was a robotics engineer of quite some competence. I imagine it won't be too long before they have us meet face to face. I can get a good look at her frame. Dot, dot, dot. It. Dang it. I keep doing that. I'll never get used to this detached professionalism thing. End quote. There's some cheeky language here and whatnot, but this is a personal audio log, and it was probably, at least as far as the character goes, intended to be private. So I'm not going to go into this beyond that right now. Um, there's a couple uh, weaknesses in the dialogue here, like saying, I used to be a robotics engineer of quite some competence. That doesn't really strike me as a thing a person would say. But again, this log is short. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. SCP-4871 does not exhibit any external anomalous capabilities. What I think they mean to convey with this sentence is that they don't do anything externally that's anomalous. Uh, the anomaly is them, quote-unquote, but the wording is kind of clunky. It's not wholly accurate. Uh, this thing can use its internal modifications to do external things, which could be categorized as anomalous like bending steel or, I don't know, firing laser beams or whatever mechanical cyborg things do. Um, so this isn't wholly accurate. It just doesn't um, project anything out away from its body, apparently. Um, everything flows through it exclusively. So this is a bit... Um, maybe I'm looking too closely at this because I'm trying to give it critical feedback, but this strikes me as a section that loses itself in the wording. The next section states that this thing has a god complex, and it is severe. Although, um, I really do like the line that comes right after that, and I'll read that verbatim real quick. To date, it has failed to manifest any pluripotency. In short, pluripotency is something's uh, lack of fixed development. Uh, essentially, something that is pluripotent would have... Um, I guess, for lack of a better term, unlimited potential. Um, and she doesn't, this SCP doesn't seem to be capable of just kind of conjuring up whatever they need. It's kind of a fun thing to throw on to the idea of a god complex. It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek, very nicely done technical way of saying they have a god complex, but so far it doesn't seem to be true. I like the word a lot, and I think this was a nice technical jab um, on the part of the commentary about the SCP, and it was well pulled off. Anyway, moving on. There's another collapsible inserted in the same format as the last. I'm going to skim over this one. It's generally cooing about the researcher over the form of this cybernetic thing. Uh, the SCP has wings. It has cool armor. The researcher notes they don't hear gears or things like that inside its body when it moves. Um, their movement seemed to be fluid and natural, not mechanical. She likes this, and she's excited. I don't have any particular problem with the section. It's humanizing for the researcher, and it serves to describe the XCP in a bit um, more clear light. However, um, I'm not sure why this stuff isn't up in the primary description, and you're tucking it into a log down here. It seems really necessary um, to include that this thing has wings. Uh, it would be a big deal that this thing could fly. That should be prominently featured in a description, not tucked into an audio recording log. Um, this uh, highlights a failure of the tone of the piece, um, that a technical detail like that would be tucked in here. It's fine narratively, it just doesn't fit with the format of an SCP article. 
We then move back to the main article with a line that this thing has not attempted to breach containment ever, including any attempts to see the real researcher. I think that the second half of this is very heavy-handed and unnecessary. Never breaching would include things like not attempting to see the researcher. Additionally, um, you know, they have never sought out 05-1. They've never sought out 05-2. Literally any person you can name, they've never broken out. Specifically naming the researcher at this point is not something that this article has earned with its narrative. We haven't gotten to that part yet. So now we're going to move on to something that's wholly separate and designated as Addendum A. calls itself a supplementary report. In this report, a paracriminal um, compromises their containment, and as a result, the damage that they inflict on their way out breaches the cell for 4871, and SCP-4871 left. Um, they didn't so much escape so much as there was an opening and they took it. So this skirts the above note that we just had, that it's never attempted to breach containment. Somebody else breached its containment and it took advantage. It was later apprehended at a comic, film, and TV convention. The Foundation covers this up by fabricating a story that the SCP was a cosplay or a character in an upcoming fictional series. We even then go so far as to commission a graphic novel in ten parts to make up this thing appearing just so no one would dig into it. There's an explained note in here that there are too many people, uh, there are too many media witnesses to effectively use amnestics, um, which, you know, explains it fine. I don't have any issue with that. Uh, it's a little whirlwindy how they just kind of line by line, boom, 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 um, and get to this, but um, I don't particularly have a problem with the, the concept that they're conveying here. Um, I'm overall neutral on the idea, which I guess is a win. And uh, they also note that after this graphic novel series was created, a copy is available in the Site34 library. Hey. Another collapsible down here, the researcher has fabricated an armor suit that will let her basically resemble the skip. They are physically identical on some level anyway, and they've decided to kind of reinforce this masquerade by allowing the researcher to take this suit of armor that she's been given and cosplay as this thing and show up to conventions so she can wholly embrace the graphic novel cover story, I guess. Uh, they're really leaning into this. And this log is basically her trying it out and coming to empathize with her counterpart being trapped in this huge metal frame and uh, the kind of strains that she could maybe feel by having to operate it. Um, and then there's also some more humanizing stuff in here about why the SCP went to the convention. Um, pure and simple, this is just you know a humanizing insert. It's interesting because I feel this piece, this, um, this audio log here does a lot more for the researcher than it does for the SCP, but we'll come back to that later. Going back to the main piece for Addendum B, this is titled as a weaponization experiment. Uh, it's a proposal. I'm going to condense this by saying uh, they're basically wanting to make augmented super soldiers in order to combat anomalies or GOIs, and they want to use the model of uh, this SCP as kind of a template for creating these suits and cybernetically enhancing 
soldiers in order to be able to pull this off. Uh, they feel that we have the materials and the techniques and anything else we're missing can be gleaned from examining this SCP that would allow us to uh, fully kit out a super soldier based off of this SCP. And their proposal calls this suit codename Goddess, which I do have to admit made me roll my eyes a bit. Uh, but the rest of the proposal here is honestly fairly logically sound. Although it relies on introducing a lot of ideas and speculative design um, from idea space rather than concentrated and concrete examples. And several other SCPs are um, mentioned here. I would say cross-linked, but they're not actually hyperlinked. They're just named um, that help explain where some of these materials might come from or how they work. This is basically all just a big block of trying to convey that we, the Foundation, can use anomalies and materials made by other anomalies in order to make a suit that's anomalous to fight anomalies. Uh, yeah, I think I got that right. So, we go back to another insertable here, another audio log. The researcher says, I bet you a fiver I could take her in a fight, end quote. She's happy to be involved in a big project, uh, more humanizing, but this is a pretty short insert. Doesn't add a ton other than to kind of progress time and keep us moving which is definitely something that has value, don't get me wrong. And it takes us down to Addendum C, which is a big interview between 4871 and finally face-to-face -face with researcher Coronamadeus. We have a foreword that the Goddess Project has stagnated, so at this point the researcher is basically appealing to the SCP to try to get help with the project. The SCP notes that the researcher looks really familiar, and it thinks that she, the researcher, is fashioning herself after 4871 as a tribute. Psychologically, that uh, jives with the whole god complex thing. This is funny because, you know, she is, by having the metal suit, which she actually isn't wearing in this log. Um, the, the SCP thinks that the researcher has done a fleshy version of a tribute. There's a nice multiple level kind of referential thing here that I can certainly appreciate. Um... Yeah, so moving on. I'll truncate the rest. Basically, the researcher looks over the SCP, takes notes, tries to move some of their joints and things like that, and the SCP starts talking up the story that they have adopted the three pillars, which they designate um, design, chaos, and order. And they, quote, are the pillars that hold me to godhood and to which my worshippers should aspire, end quote. The SCP says that they have grown into apotheosis, which um, is the act of reaching um, something's pinnacle. It says that it has a sister who owns the other three pillars, but the SCP will not talk about the sister, will not name those other pillars, and that's the end of the article. Then we come back, or I'm sorry, not the end of the article, that's the end of the interview. Then we come back to the main piece, yet again, for Addendum D which is a modified proposal based on the first one. The researcher that penned the first profile now believes that the physical must be integrated with the mechanical. They must be married together if these things are to ever work. The pieces themselves, the materials, must be infused with intent and integrated into a body so that the person wearing the suit can literally embody these concepts. The project stalled because they were trying to find a way to keep things separate, and the simple fact of the matter is there isn't. If this is going to work, they have to learn to blend the two.
the researcher named here goes by Dr. Scarlett Innes' daughter. Uh, she penned both the first proposal and the second proposal. And there is a final note here down at the bottom that this research that this researcher who wrote the proposal, Dr. Innes' daughter, recommends researcher Medeus, who is our world's equivalent of this SCP, recommends her for the job of cybernetic test pilot. Then we get a final proposal, a final section of this article, which is accompanied first by a note from the Ethics Committee. Uh, they have stepped in and they have stopped research on this SCP and they are issuing an official admonishment of Dr. Innes' daughter. The final audio log is transcribed below and it includes uh, one part I'm going to quote verbatim here. I should have seen it coming. Of course they were going to ask me to turn into her. End quote. The rest of this is sort of an admission that what's required to do this is fucked up and it's not worth the cost. So researcher Medeus is happy to put this to bed. That's the end of the article. So what this reads like to me is uh, something of a bootstrap paradox, which if you're not familiar with the story of a bootstrap paradox, that is a time loop that causes itself. The classic example that I've always heard is uh, let's say you're inspired by physics and you are completely fascinated by the works of Albert Einstein. So you study everything about him, learn everything he ever wrote. And one day time travel becomes available to you and you go back in time and you see Albert Einstein and you show him all these studies and things you did about him and you show him all this research he did on his work. And then you go back to your current time. Uh, so, did you go back in time and give these things to Albert Einstein, teaching him physics? If you did, how did he teach you physics? Did you teach yourself physics? That's why it's a paradox, but that's essentially what a bootstrap boils down to, a thing that causes itself. So this researcher is exposed to her alter self. Uh, this is a her that has literally ascended to this mechanical flesh hybrid. They learn from each other. They sympathize, they empathize. The simpler one, our prime researcher, envies the abilities that the cyborg has and she aspires to master the mechanical as her counterpart is done. She's taught by the SCP. She learns from the SCP, except this time, in this reality, in our primary foundation timeline, uh, researcher Medeus, uh, at least in this article, says, uh, no thanks, and she just backs off. Now there's a hint here at the end, at least to me, that um, if you read the final audio log, she's going to call her sister and that she's taking her project armor with her since this is dead anyway. And to me, that is sort of a teaser that the paradox here has not actually been foiled. It's still alive and well. And we kind of have a Terminator movie situation where uh, everything is still happening and no matter what we do, we can't prevent it. The sister may fall into it from talking to the researcher. We have no idea. This could spin off a hundred ways and still ultimately cause researcher Medeus to wind up where she is supposed to be. Temporal paradoxes are bad. Time travel is weird. We probably shouldn't think too much about it, but to me, that seems like what's going on here. Um, and I dig that. I love paradoxes, especially um, time travel paradoxes, because there are very few rules and you can do a lot of things with a lot of very wide liberty 
And I know me personally as a reader, when somebody tells me that we're talking about a time paradox, I throw a lot of my sense of restriction out of the way. I understand and expect things to get very wonky and very screwed up. And I uh, loosen that slack for the author. I think a lot of other people behave similarly as well. So um, beyond the story, this article has several serious tonal issues, but we can't fault this piece for lacking the core message that it carries all the way through to the end. We have the same theme that's introduced at the beginning uh, that we see carried through to the very last ethics committee statement and final log. There's really nothing here that's left unattended or left hanging for me as a reader, and I like that. Um, that's definitely a positive to this piece's credit. I will say that the number of interruptions here and the way they present them in these audio logs is kind of bothersome for me. It hurt my pace a lot trying to read this to see um, open here for insert a document, like every paragraph or two. Uh, but I don't really have a lot of good feedback about fixing this, at least at this time. These are interspersed, highly humanizing things, and they are good to nice, but they do kneecap my pace. Um, my only other comment about those, um, about the content of these audio logs themselves, is that I don't think that the language the researcher uses is very good. It seems quite crass and quite informal. I would expect that a person of science is maybe not quite so lowbrow. Like, for example, if I were to just see text like this and you told me this came from a D class, I would believe you. Um, so that's kind of uncharacteristic. I would like to see that tightened up, and I think that would benefit it a lot here. Other than that, I think this article could afford to trim down on the spots where Medeus is humanized and we have these interruptions. You could make each one, you know, more content rich and more tone appropriate and give me some of my attention economy back. Take that real estate you free up and maybe rethink expanding on this Dr. Scarlet, that second researcher who writes the weaponization proposals. Her name is quite literally just tacked onto this piece, and I'm not sure why. I don't know who this researcher is um, at all. I don't know what relationship they have to Corona Medeus or the SCP. They just seem to be a name that's tacked onto the weaponization proposal. I would like to see more from that uh, if you're going to name them specifically at all. I understand you have to name somebody to point a finger at with this ethics committee condemnation, but that kind of makes it ring hollow to me. There are, you know, a number of ways you could probably try to integrate that uh, safely. I would look at counter logs from somebody else. You could kind of do a side-by-side, -side, an audio log from Medeus, an audio log from Innistotter someone who is weirded out by the similarities between themselves and the skip and you know the project lead who wants to make super soldiers there's a lot of rich soil there you could grow something in that's just a thought i'm not really sure i would think that i can call this narrative overall strong but it could use a bit more work and another set of eyes to audit the dialogue and trim that up and tighten the tone Ultimately, because of the consistent tonal errors, 
I'm kind of on the border to calling myself a no vote at the moment because of the weaknesses that I described in the interview and the audio logs. I can definitely see myself upvoting this uh, if a little bit more work were done to bring this into line. And on that note, I will be signing off. Please look for Season 1, Episode 2 of Crit Lives Within to come at the end of June so I can get back onto the horse with this 15th and the 30th schedule. I want to thank you for your time, and I hope you have enjoyed uh, hearing me out on this now-complete episode of Crit Lives Within. Many Meats, out.